glad you are here this morning as we, again, continue in parables. We're in week five as we move through. And um, as I was praying over and thinking about where we are, it just kind of struck me at some point that I don't know if we ever really understand the magnitude of the gift that the disciples had. I don't even think they realized it until much later that if you could grasp the idea that they got to walk with God for three years, that they walked with him and they heard him speak and they would look at the world and what was going on and when they had a question, they would just turn to God and ask him. Isn't that crazy? And, but, but here's where it gets crazier. Jesus answered him. Like, not only did they have questions about life and how the world worked and how God valued and viewed the world, the Lord of the universe took time to answer him. That's crazy. What would you give to get three years to walk with God? I mean, I'd, I'd give almost anything. I mean, it's like, how cool would that be? How amazing would that be? I mean, and as I thought about that idea of walking with God and, and, and spending time with God, I just started thinking about my own boys and the relationship that we have. And I love my boys. They're super fun. And they're always asking, like, you know, why do we do this? Or why do we not do that? Or how do I fix this? Or how come we value that? Or maybe how come you value that? Those are questions that happen in our home. And our boys are at the age now where they're having to pay for things. And so that means when you're driving, you don't want to pay other people to fix your car. And so we've been dealing with fixing cars. And so one of my sons is like, hey, I need to do a brake job. Uh, I need to see how low the brake pads are. And metal on metal doesn't stop very well. It doesn't do that. And so he's like, how do I fix the brakes? And so we kind of went through the first tire. I said, okay, now I'm going to have you do the work on the second one. And I taught him and I showed him. And then my other son, he, he's working on his truck and... We tore apart the interior to put seat belts in and to figure that out. And then I said, hey, here's how the engines work. And I just kind of talked through the components. And it's that idea of asking questions, getting answers, understanding how things work. And that's what God is doing today. As we get into this parable, as we get into this passage, it's exactly what's going on. And, and we're going to take a little bit of a turn in the series that we're in right now. And so we've really kind of looked at a lot of foundational truths as we've gone into the parables. And we've looked at salvation and repentance and forgiveness and how God views sinners. But now we're going to move to how do I engage this God that we've just learned about? What are the practical sides of what it means to be in relationship with God and follow him? And, and a lot of people would have said, we should have started there. Well, no, because the danger always is, is that we think that the practical side is what earns our love and grace and favor from God. So we wanted to start with grace and his love for us is based on his goodness, not our ability to do good things. And so that's why we waited so long to get to that. And the teaching that we're in today is literally a question that the disciples asked Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 11. Uh, we are not going to jump around a bunch today. I know the last few sermons, we've been all over the place. We're going to kind of just hang out here and go to one other verse, and we're just going to talk. So if you have your Bibles, uh, follow along. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of the seats. It'll also be on the screen. If you're like, I'm just not familiar and comfortable, follow along on the screen if you want to. We have the verses up there as well. Luke 11, starting in 1 through 13. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And when, he said, and when he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I ask that you would, you would speak to us this morning. You would give us eyes to see truth. You would give us ears to hear truth. You would soften our hearts where they're hard. You would allow us to understand that prayer is so important and so a part of the gospel, that you are a relational God engaging your people. I ask that you would press into us. I ask that you would encourage us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that if there are things that would get in the way of your word moving forward, that you would keep me from saying those. If there's anything that needs to be said to this specific group of people that I have not prepared, that you would give me that word, that I would say that to them so they would hear from you today as they've come here. We love you. We pray all these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Now, I know that the disciples think they knew what they were asking Jesus, and they understood what they were asking Jesus But I don't think they understood the core of the question that they were asking. Because prayer, at its core, is at the heart of the gospel. And that's something that we need to understand. At the heart of the gospel, it's about a relationship with God that is broken and that is now restored. And just so you know, I'm going to say this every time I preach until I die or you fire me. I will explain the gospel always because that is where the power is, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel where it is the power of God, right? That's the idea for salvation. That's what it's about. And the reality is this, that our relationship with God was broken. In the garden, things were good. There was no sin. He walked with us. He spent time with us. He loved his people. Then his people rejected him. Sin entered the world and sin always breaks and fractures and destroys And that's what happened from creation to the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. And they were removed from the garden because God must punish sin, rebellion against him. 
And then the rest of the Bible is God's great love story of how he pursues us, chases after us, and provides a way so we could be in relationship with him again without the fear of his wrath or his judgment, which is what Jesus absorbed on the cross when he took our place. That is the beauty of the gospel. And what we see with prayer is the byproduct of the gospel. The very thing that we didn't have was relationship is the very thing that we have now. And as we move into prayer, it is all about a relationship and a connectedness with the God of the universe who has gone to great lengths to bring you back to him because he knows that there is no place better than to be with him in relationship. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm done. Let's let's call it. Prayer really is the evidence of a restored relationship with God, but Martin Luther said it this way. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be alive without breathing. See, because the gospel is about a restored relationship, prayer is about being in a relationship. You can't have one without the other. They have to be connected all the time. When I pose the idea of what would you give to spend three years with God, the truth is it was kind of a trick question because we have something better. We get to be with God every day for the rest of our lives if we've placed our faith in the life of Jesus Christ. We can ask him what's going on. We can seek him out. We can engage him. I love that I get to prayer. I can, I can do prayer anywhere I want. Outside, on a walk, on a hike, I can do it while I'm driving. I, I can, anywhere I want, I can engage the God of the universe continually. But sadly, what we see is we don't. We, we all would say, yeah, prayer is good, and, and yeah, I, I should be praying more. But when I ask people what their prayer life looks like, I tend to hear on a more frequent basis that it doesn't exist a whole lot or that it's hard or that I'm just not sure I struggle with it. I I was kind of polling some of my friends this week and they said, it's, I know that God is there, but I don't feel like he's there sometimes. I know that he hears me, but I don't get a verbal response back. And so what we tend to do then is we make God into something else and it becomes this butler in the sky that he's supposed to wait on me hand and foot, or he's a genie that I just give him my wishes and he gets back to me. Or it's kind of like that, that grandchild that went to college and got an art degree and paints a lot and keeps going to their older grandparents every three months for rent checks. It's kind of like that. Like, I, I'll come to you when I need something from you. I, I want to make some observations about this. And this is a, a passage that we could literally spend months in. It would be very easy to spend months in here. So I'm not going to hit everything in the detail you wanted to. But the first thing out of the eight points that I have today is that Jesus sought God out for prayer, and so should we. Jesus sought God out for prayer, and so should we. Jesus went and prayed all the time. It's very common as you read through the Gospels that you see that Jesus was always getting away to pray. He loved to be in fellowship with his father. He loved to be in fellowship with God. And not only did he love it, he didn't do it out of obligation. He did it out of a deep desire, knowing that he was hopeless without being connected to the father. 
Oddly enough, when he died on the cross is when he was out of relationship with the Father. And what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The worst thing he could possibly be was out of relationship with the Father. And we see that as Jesus prayed, he he had all these different times when he prayed. His disciples noticed it all the time. His disciples wrote about it. Now, I'm going to put a list of verses up there, and I'm not going to read through them. These are up on there. You can take a look at these ones uh, that are going to come up. They're also on the app. They're in different parts of, of notes in the app, so I encourage you to go and get that there. But Matthew 26 and Mark 14, Luke 5, Luke 22, Luke 6, All of these are places where you can see where Jesus got away to be with God. Sometimes it'll use the word he went into a place of solitude. What do you think he's doing there? He's praying to God. He's spending time with God. He's making sure that he's connected to them. And we see that these usually flow out of extremely difficult times that Jesus is about to face. And he's about to face these difficult times. What did he do? He runs to the Father. He runs to God so he can be empowered by God to do the hard things that need to get done. That he knows that he can't do it without God. He wants to pour out his heart so God would be there. And and here's something that I want you to hear. You'll probably hear me say this a lot. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he hasn't already done himself and perfectly. He's never going to ask you to do something that he's never done. And so he calls us to pray as he wants us to be in prayer. It was the foundation of everything he did with his ministry. Then Jesus, our second point is Jesus loves us enough to teach us how to pray. I love that. He teaches his disciples how to pray. They want to know. They go to say, Jesus, how, how do we do this? Like, you're always going away and doing this. How do I do it? Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Lord's Prayer. Most people do like one, uh, one line a week for months. I'm not going to do that, but I want to do a flyby to understand that what he was showing them is not this incantation of what to say. He's giving a template of what prayer should look like. And he starts with honor and respect. But I love what he does. Before that, he says a title for God. And what is that title? Father. That's important. That is how Jesus always addresses God in prayer except for one time. When he was out of relationship on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that crazy? And so Father has this idea there is a close, connected relationship. He's not a distant God. He's not a far off God. He's a relational God who wants to be involved in your life that we would show honor and respect to God, that we would praise the name of God, that we would lift his name up. That's what that means. Two, that his rule would continue and spread across the world, that we agree with God's rule and we want everyone to be under it because it's actually good. It's not that he's oppressive, it's that he's freeing. That's what we want. We want his rule to go forward because it's perfect. That we want him to provide for our lives. There are provisions in our life that we need. And we want God to be the one that provides. That we seek him out in that area. That he would forgive us of our sins. And I think that there's a confusion sometimes that we go, oh, the gospel is about salvation and that's it. It doesn't stop there. The gospel is continually playing out in the believer's life. 
every day of their life, as they believe lies, as they, they don't trust God, as they don't live the way they wanted to, like the gospel continues to save us as we repent of our sins to go to the Father that that has the past sins, present sins, and future sins. In 10 years, you're going to sin. Jesus died for that. Kind of amazing. I don't even know what the sin is. He does, and he died for that. Like, he wants us to go to him and ask for forgiveness of our sins. But then he wants us to reflect his son and then have, ask for power to forgive those that have sinned against us. As the Holy Spirit resides within us, we, we are ambassadors. We represent God. We represent Jesus, and we take his name forward with how we live our lives. And if at the core of the gospel is forgiveness of sins, shouldn't we be the ones that are the best at forgiving others? That's not convicting. Ugh. But he would protect us from temptation that we are asking God, protect us from temptation so we won't fall into sin, so that we won't become slaves again since we've been freed. And then because Jesus is so good, he knows that this is hard to understand. He knows that this is not easy. So he's going to give this parable, but it's gonna be like a parable and then another parable within the same parable. And he's gonna kind of lay this out on what prayer looks like. Now, this parable is different. As you've noticed, I've been kind of laying out the symbolism that we've been walking through lately, and I know a lot of you have really appreciated that. I've heard you kind of tell me that, and this is really easy. He's talking about us and how we deal with prayer. And he's gonna use this idea of contrast to show our brokenness to highlight his goodness. And that's what he wants to do. That's the big idea. So he's gonna contrast between how we deal with others and then how God deals with us. And that's really what's going on in this. Now, this parable may be hard to understand as you go, what kind of person would go to his neighbor's house at midnight asking for some food? That doesn't make sense. Well, I think that there's some things that we don't understand about a culture that's an honor-based culture. And the Middle East is an honor-based culture and how they function and what they do. Now, um, some of you may know, some of you may not know, my wife is Middle Eastern. I married into a Middle Eastern family. It has been probably the greatest thing that I've gotten to do in life is be a part of that family. I have learned so much about God, that culture, how it interacts. Um, Annette's mom is just a, a joy and a, and a pleasure to have as a second mom. And she explains to me why the Middle East responds this way, why they act this way, and the food that I've gotten to taste. But here's the thing. When you come into a Middle Eastern family, it doesn't matter if you're hungry. You're going to eat. You will have a full plate. There will be food brought before you. And when you say, oh, no, I've had enough, no, no, there's no such thing as enough until it's all gone. Your plate will be replenished whether you prefer that or not. Why? Hospitality and honor are connected within that culture. And making someone feel welcome is a part of honoring them. And by giving them food, you are nourishing them. You are feeding them. You are bringing them into the family because we eat as a family, right? And you are a part of that family. You've been accepted into it. Anything I have is yours, whatever you need. 
and to not serve them in that way and to honor them with what you have would be dishonoring. And again, in an honor-based culture that won't stand, that won't work. So this parable is, is this person comes and go, someone has come, they got here late. I don't have a quickie mart to go to. I don't have a place to get food. I have to cook everything by hand. I don't have time to make bread. I don't have time to go get an animal and, and prepare it and slaughter it. There's no time. So I got to do anything I can to show honor to this guest who's come to be in my home as I serve them. So I'm going to go to my neighbor's house and I'm going to engage them. This brings me to my third point, that we should be shamelessly persistent with our prayers. Shamelessly persistent with our prayers. See, I love that this, this individual goes to the neighbor and the neighbor's like, go away. That would be my response. Why are you at my doorstep? You got to figure something else out. The kids are in bed. I got things, like I got to get rest. I'll see you tomorrow. Persistently keeps asking. Shamelessly keeps asking. And it's funny, it says, eventually that individual will give you whatever you want. Why? To go away. Go away. I'll give you anything that you want. And it says, and not because they're friends. Because of how they asked. Because of his impudence. That word has a lot of different ways that it can make sense to us. But it's a lack of respect. It's an audacity. It's a brazenness. Gall. I love that word. It's got gall. How, how, who would do that? Rudeness. A lack of sensitivity. And there is this shameless persistence that's being communicated in this parable, and Jesus is saying that this is how he wants us to go before the Father, which seems insane. I was watching these YouTube videos this week because, you know, that's what you do. And so I was watching some YouTube videos, and there was this one from ABC News and from BBC, and I love, Zoom has made things quite hilarious for live TV. And so you've got these newscasters in their suits and they've got all the graphics behind them and they're analyzing what's happening. And then they go, let's break to our analysts right now at home. And somebody at home and they're trying to make their house look really cool and they're really smart. And here's my fashion, here's my degrees, here's all my books. Look how amazing I am. And then inevitably, a child kicks through the door and, and, the, and you can see them like, I'm just going to ignore this. There is no child in the background. And the child starts doing things and this kid comes into this woman's office on BBC and she's got a unicorn picture and she's trying to figure out where the best place to put it in the room is and you can tell she's trying to pretend like it's not happening and then the kid says mommy where should I put it mommy where should I do it mommy where should I put this and eventually what's going to happen she has to address the child and she's like well honey you know because you know they're on live tv so they got to be really nice well, honey, I, I think that looks good, but mommy's really busy right now. This is how God is saying that we should address him, like a child interrupting a Zoom call. How crazy is it that God says, this is what I want our relationship to be like. All the powerful people of the world, they have all these people that keep other people away from them, don't they? You can't have access to me. You can't be a part of what's going on. But you know what's funny? Any child can walk into any of these amazing, powerful men and women in the world, can't they? 
Remember that famous picture of JFK Jr. underneath the desk in the president's office plane? That's what I'm talking about. That is our relationship to God as Christians, that we can go to him and he wants us to go to him. When it comes to prayer, God is inviting us into this kind of behavior. He says so in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can now confidently go to the throne of grace because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Anytime, anywhere, with anything. No matter what's going on, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we get to do. Jesus goes to God this way all the time. He's calling us to do that because we are his children, because he is our father. And, and, and maybe you've had experience with a poor father in your life. I know that all of us come from different backgrounds. Maybe your example of a dad wasn't a good dad. But he's saying, in contrast, I am. I am a good father. I am a kind father. I am a loving father. And I'm better than that friend. And I'm better than your earthly father. Because I am perfect, I am holy, and I am amazing in every way. My fourth point is this, that God wants us to go to God with everything. Everything. Anything in your mind, go to God with it. He goes on to tell us in verse 9 what we should do is that we should ask, seek, and knock. Well, what is he really saying? Ask is just praying, that we would pray. And we seek what? We seek out God and his will for that part of our life. And we knock on the door of his great mercy and grace that he gives freely. He gives freely to you that only the Father can give. Now, it's, it's, it's fun to, to do a little bit of nerding out when you're doing your study, but all of these are verbs, first of all, and they're all present imperatives. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what that means, and I don't really care, Simon. Well, let me explain why that's actually important. And what the, here's what that means, that these, these are commands that are given in the, in the present and the future. So he's saying, right now you should ask, seek, and knock, and in the future... You should ask, seek, and knock. So what it's saying is that we should continually and constantly be in prayer in this way as believers with the Father. Our life should always be revolving about being in relationship. Like we have this access, why would we not utilize this access to the God that holds everything in the palm of his hands, has control over life and death, does everything and we should shamelessly be persistent with God. Now, this poses a question that we have to kind of ask because a lot of bad theologies can come from this verse. I've seen a lot of bad theology come from this passage. So the next question is that maybe one that you've struggled with or you know people that have struggled with it, and you ask, so does this mean that God is going to give us everything we ask for? It's the natural progression of the, of the question, right? So he said, ask, seek, and knock. So therefore, and he says, and, and it'll be given to you, right? Well, I'm going to share a story. Safe space. This is a safe place so we can share about our brokenness. Cool, because here we're doing it. As a younger man, I, I would read a, a passage like this, and I'd go, oh, man, I need to, I need to ask. I just need to ask God, and he's going he's gonna to give me what I ask for. And I remember as a young man, I don't know why I share these things. Um, 
And I'm like, I'm just so tired of working and being tied down to jobs and the man. Like, I need to be free to do God's work. And so I just need to, to get some money so I can give to the church and I can go across the world. And I, I'm just going to do it. So I decided, I, I figured it out, God. I know what needs to happen. I am going to play the California lottery, and that is going to be how I'm going to get my money. And because I had such great faith, I didn't go buy a bunch of tickets. You only need one to win. And my faith was so big, I bought one ticket, and I was going to win. And I'm like, here we go. So then the lottery shows up, and they're picking the numbers. I'm like, let's do it. Time to get rich. Not one of my numbers came up. I'm like, what's the deal? I prayed, I believed, why didn't I get it? Well, I'd love to answer you with the quick answer. But what I want to do is I want to engage what Jesus says to this, because he actually addresses this in the second part. If we understand what he's saying, because he comes, he tells this next like micro parable right after he says this. So if there's any confusion, you would understand what he's really getting at. And that brings me to my fifth point. When God gives, it's because he is good. So let's read 11 through 13. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's kind of a rough passage. He's all, if you then, who are evil? I'm not evil. Compared to God, yes, you are. Like, just sit in that for a second. Like, that's not fun. Yeah, it's called sin. It's what it's done to us. It's, it's made us evil, that our thoughts are wicked and they're selfish. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's going, again, contrast. The difference between us and God and his holiness and how he answers prayers and how he gives good gifts to his children. That's the idea. If your kid asks for a fish, you're going to give him a snake? Uh, no, unless you're sadistic. If he, if he asks for an egg, you're going to give him a poisonous scorpion? No, you're not. of course. They, we all know that that's nuts. And that's the big point. You who are evil can still good gifts. So would you not expect a perfect and holy and amazingly just God to only give good gifts? That's, that's the big point. That's the big idea. He wants us to know that he only gives good gifts. Sometimes he'll give us what we want when it's not good, so we'll realize that he is good, which is kind of crazy. But everything he does is to show that he is good and that he is gracious, that he cares for us. My sixth point is this. When God does not give, give it's because he's good. Same as the first point, one is getting and one is not getting. He's still good. Now, I have a child, and I'm not going to name who he is, but his name starts with an H. And this child of mine keeps asking me for a taser. I'm like, I, I don't know why you need a taser. I, I want a taser. You, you don't need a taser. I want a taser. I, should, I need to have a taser. They're fun. Tasers are cool. Can I have a taser? No, you can't have a taser. I'm not buying you a weapon. 
Oh, come on. My friends will just use it on, we'll use it on each other. No, that's not what we're doing either. Because I'm a good father and give good gifts, I'm not going to buy my son a taser. It's insanity. But don't, don't you think for a minute that he doesn't shamelessly, persistently ask me on a regular basis for a taser. He does not give up. And I'd be kind of mad if he did. I'd be bummed out. You know why? Because him asking me for a taser shows that he understands the order of our family. It shows me that we are in relationship, that we're engaged in conversation, that we're engaged in community. And if he was to stop asking me for things, most likely there would be a lack of relationship involved in our life. And that would break my heart. He may not get all that he wants, but he can come to his father who loves him enough to talk the crazy out of him from time to time. That's what we do, right? We talk the crazy out of ourselves with other people. We got to do that. We need someone in our life that can do that. Seven, the better gift is more of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The best thing that we could ask for is more of him. And that's what he's getting at. He says that he will give us the Holy Spirit, which is more of him, that is God residing in us, living in us, filling us with himself so we can show the world who the Father's like, just like our hero Jesus. The mere act of prayer is asking God for things. It's taking a seat of humility, isn't it? I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't get it. I don't have the power. And so we take this position and go to the one who can. And this is the heart of the gospel that we can't save ourselves so we go to the one who can. If you have a hard time going to God in prayer and asking for things, it's probably because you think you can do it on your own, which is going to make the gospel extremely difficult for you to grasp. We must humble ourselves before the foot of the cross and realize that we can't do it. Because why? It says we're evil. We don't have the ability or the power to save ourselves. Now, I'm going to say something hard as we get towards our last point. If, if you were having a problem in your marriage, <clears throat> and I started to press into your marriage and say, well, how much time are you spending with your spouse? Um, usually what I've come to find, if, if a marriage is going poorly, you're not usually spending a lot of time with your spouse because your spouse is making you angry, so you kind of do your own things, and you start to operate in different spheres of the home, and you live in the same home, but you're kind of doing your own thing. Maybe you've seen that when you grew up in your home with your parents, or maybe that's where you are right now. But if I was to start asking, how much time do you guys spend together talking? How much time do you spend together working through things in life? The answer would probably be pretty clear. Not much. So, if I ask you how your relationship with God is doing, and you're saying things like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't feel God, I don't see God, I don't feel like I'm close to God, I don't feel like that we're connected, and then I ask you, how is your prayer life? It's not usually far off base that your prayer life is not in the best place. If being connected to God and being in a relationship is connected to how much time we spend in 
in conversation with him? Have you started asking the question of what does my time with God look like? If I desire to be close to God, am I spending time praying with him? Am I spending time reading his word and then praying through his word and understanding what he's saying and being challenged by that and being pressed against that? You know, it's funny. My eighth and final point is God is calling you to engage him. It's funny, if we take the analogy of the marriage and move it forward a little bit more, it's this idea that we, we don't want to be the one to save face, and so because I'm not going to humble myself, I, we become proud, and we let the other person have to make the first move. Well, I'm not going to say nothing until they, they do something. I'm, I'm in the right. They're in the wrong. They better come to me. God already has made the first move. So that's the best part. He, he already did. All you got to do is turn around. It says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He's done it. All you have to do is turn to God and realize that he loves you and cares for you and has died for you. Any request you can bring to him. It's like all the other stuff, we get God. Can we just sit on that? Like out of everything we get, we get God. Everything else is just gravy. That's a term that I used to, I used to hear from guys when I was weightlifting. They'd always say, give me one more rep. Give me some gravy. Give me some gravy. You already did all the stuff. That's just extra. It's the icing on the cake of life that anything that God would bless us with is just the icing on the cake. He is the purpose. He is the reason. He is the meaning behind everything. So I got three questions for you, and then we're going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to have the band come back up. My first question is this. Do you go to God with shameless persistence? Or do you think that you can't go to God with everything? Do you feel like you're bothering God? Do you feel like God doesn't care, that God's too busy, that he's not listening? Because I'm gonna just correct that, that God is a good father and he loves you and he wants you to engage him with everything. And here's the best part. You're like, well, I shouldn't bring all my crazy prayers and requests to him. Yes, you should. And here's why. Because he exposes what's going on in our heart. As we go to God with everything on our heart, it exposes what we really want. It exposes where we're broken. It exposes where we're not believing the gospel. And God says, I want you to come to me with those things because I'm going to show you that there is something better than what you're actually requesting. And I care about you enough to call you out. He wants to expose our hearts so we'll have freedom from the sin that keeps us from him. My second question is, what are you asking for in life right now? What do you keep going to God with right now? Is it more about you? Is it more about your glory? Or is it revolving around God and wanting more of him and his goodness? See, he wants you here today to hear that, so you'll ask that question. And if it's, if it's about you, God's like, I want you to lay that down. I want you to confess that. I want you to repent of that. I want you to turn back to me. I'm better than those things. My, my third one is just super ground-level practical. Do you have a daily time where you're praying with God? Do you have a daily time where you are praying with God? Where you're talking about your day, you're talking about your life, you're talking about your struggles, you're praising him for what he's provided and what he's doing in your life. If you want your relationship with God to grow, you have to be in relationship with him. I wouldn't have a very strong relationship with my wife if I never talked to her. 
Yeah, yeah, we're married. We have separate rooms and, you know, once a week we get together and we talk for about 20 minutes. What kind of a relationship do you think that that's really going to be? You have to make sacrifices and carve out time if you want the relationship that you're looking for. We can't coast through this. I want to end with this. Every time we pray, we are exercising the power of the gospel and a God who saves us back to him. Let's exercise the gospel all throughout the day, all the time. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this message. I know that I was just convicted this week about what I pray for, what I want, what I do, why I do the things that I do. And I I just ask that you would just convict us this morning, that you you would bring us to a point where we understand that you are a relational God that loves us, that you want to be in relationship with us. I ask that there are men and women here today, they would ponder those questions today. Are we being shamelessly persistent with our prayers to you? What are we currently praying for right now? And what does my daily time with you look like? Lord, I ask that this would be the foundational turning point for those that are feeling far from you, that they would turn to you. Lord, I pray that there are those who don't have that relationship, that maybe today is the first time that they have heard the gospel, that they would respond to you right now. Use this time during worship that we would be hearing you clearly, that we would address you and we would engage you. Love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.